So we are back in our series called Created for Good Works that we started uh, a few weeks ago. We took a pause last week for Mother's Day, and we're back in it this morning. And if you were with us a couple of weeks ago, we began talking about the fear of man. And I had said a couple of weeks ago that when we have misplaced fear toward people, rather than an appropriate fear of God, our ability to walk in the good works God has given us to do is going to be stifled. And I had given you a quote from Marshall Segal talking about the fear of man. This is the quote. I'll read it again. He said, Fear of man, unlike other more glaring sins, often hides itself behind various masks of love. It stalks the fearful and vulnerable while wearing camouflage, covering malice with the appearance of safety, warmth, kindness, even selflessness. It preys on friendships, marriages, families, churches, and workplaces, often without anyone noticing it. And it kills, and because it kills without a gun, it covers its tracks well. And so we began to examine the issue of the fear of man through the example of Jeremiah. I just showed up. Uh, Jeremiah had a very difficult call from the Lord. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Jeremiah was 17 years old when he was commissioned by the Lord, and he was commissioned by God to be the last prophet before the exile into Babylon that had to go to God's people, to the Israelites, to warn them, unless you turn from your evil, God is going to cast you out of the land. So that's a pretty challenging uh, call for a 17-year-old, let alone anyone else. And when Jeremiah received that call from the Lord, Jeremiah had two objections to that call that we looked at a couple weeks ago. Jeremiah said, first of all, I'm young, and second of all, I don't know how to speak. Jeremiah was concerned because he didn't have the experience that he thought was necessary. And underneath Jeremiah's objections was fear. And specifically, it was the fear of man. And God confronts Jeremiah about this in verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 1, when God says, Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So God pinpoints Jeremiah's fear as the fear of man. Do not be afraid of them, Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was worried about the response that he would receive from others. And that is also so often what you and I fear. We fear the response from other people. And the inner dialogue of someone struggling with the fear of man sounds a lot like this. What are they going to think of me? What might they say to other people about me? What are they going to do to me? What do they expect of me? Unfortunately, such considerations rooted in the fear of man drive us and often keep us from stepping into the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in the same way that Jeremiah had to step into the good works that God had for him because we looked at the fact that God had prepared good works for Jeremiah before he was born. Jeremiah 1, 4-5 says, Before I formed you, I knew you. 
And God says, I consecrated you, Jeremiah. I set you apart and appointed you to be a prophet of my people before you were even born. And God does the same thing with every man and every woman and every child who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says God has prepared works for us before we were in Christ. It says we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works that he had prepared beforehand, before we were born again, so that we would walk in them. So we have a very similar calling to Jeremiah in the works that we are called to walk in. And hopefully all of us here, we want to walk in the works that God has given us to walk in. Hopefully all of us here, we want to love the Lord who has ransomed us and the people whom he has given us to serve well. And in order to do that, we must kill the fear of man in our lives because it will hold us back. And so today, we are going to define the fear of man, and we're going to look at some symptoms of it using Jeremiah 17, verse 5 to 8, as our grounding scripture. Ed Welch, a a well-known Christian counselor, calls those lesser-known verses in Jeremiah the classic text on the fear of man. So hopefully today together we can diagnose this problem where it exists in our own hearts through the help of the Holy Spirit so that next week we're going to look at the cure so that we are no longer in bondage to this fear. So let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this place and I thank you for every single person that's here this morning. And Father, we know that this is a a universal challenge that faces people, this fear of man. And so, Lord, I pray that as we begin to shine a light on it this morning, that you would do a work in our hearts, that you would expose in each of our hearts where we struggle with this fear and how it keeps us in bondage and keeps us from doing the things that you have called us to do. And Lord, as we shine a light on it, begin to uproot that so that next week when we talk about the cure, you can banish this fear from our lives so that we can walk in the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of man. Father, do that in our hearts, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And so let's begin by talking about what is the fear of man. And so to understand the fear of man correctly, we need to have a good biblical definition of fear and biblical understanding of what fear is. Because the biblical idea of fear is, is not simply being scared of someone or something. Right? The biblical understanding of fear extends far beyond that narrow definition to include the idea of holding someone or something in awe giving reverence to an individual or worshipfully respecting someone or something. And so when you understand that broader definition of fear that is dominant throughout Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, fear describes the sort of actions and it describes the sort of heart postures that should be directed toward God. Right? The fear of God, which is a consistent theme in Scripture, means exactly those things. It means holding God in, God in awe. It means having a reverence for Him. It means worshiping Him. It means trusting Him and being a servant of His, which flows from a posture of reverent love toward Him. 
So the, the fear of man then is putting men or women or even children in the position that God should hold in our lives, where we fear them rather than God. We wrongly hold them in awe. We hold them in reverence. And as a result, we ultimately entrust ourselves to them and serve their interests and our own interests rather than God's. And so if we look at the first verse from our text, Jeremiah 17, 5, this is the principle that we see communicated from the Lord through Jeremiah to his people. And just to give you some context and understanding of these verses, the chapter, chapter 17 of Jeremiah, uh, in this chapter, God is rebuking the nation of Judah for its deep-rooted apostasy. They have completely turned away from the Lord. And the Lord says in verse 1 and verse 2, Judah's sin is written with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. God's basically saying their sin is so deep that it, you cannot erase it. It was written with a pen of iron, and you cannot break it because it is written with the point of a diamond. And he goes on to say the children of the nation even, the children of Judah, they remember not the Lord, but altars and asherim. And asherim were these poles that represented the goddess Asherah, which was a Greek god. And so the Lord is rebuking Judah and saying that, that your apostasy is so deeply written on your hearts, and your children don't even remember anything about me. They remember everything about false idols, and he rebukes them for that. And a lot of Israel's apostasy was due to their fear of man, because at this time, they were relying heavily on the nation of Egypt, because of their fear of Assyria and Babylon and the threat that they were to their nation. The fear of man, or in this case, the fear of a nation, had them trusting in the wrong thing. They were trusting in Egypt rather than the Lord. And he rebukes them in verse 5 and says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. Because of their fear of Assyria and Babylon, they had turned to trust in flesh in Egypt. God says, no, that's not what you do. And that rebuke to the Israelites describes what is happening in our hearts when we fear man. The fear of man is ultimately our heart turning away from the Lord and entrusting itself to other people. You may not have thought of it that way, but that's what's happening. The fear of man involves us putting our trust in another person rather than God. And what that does to us is it enslaves us to that person. So that rather than being a servant of the Lord, and I'll explain that a bit more in a moment, we become enslaved to that person. This is a universal human issue, and it is one that we must be aware of because it is deeply damaging to us, and it is deeply damaging to our faith, and it will hold us back in the purposes that God has for his people. The Lord says, cursed is the man who trusts in man. And to be clear, God 
there is not saying, I'm going to curse you for trusting in man. God is saying, you're bringing a curse upon yourself by trusting in man. In our culture, the fear of man has several different names. As an adult, the fear of man is often known as people-pleasing. As a child, the fear of man is peer pressure. Most recently, psychology has coined the term codependency. These are all different terms, but they mean the same thing. Under them all is the fear of man. People-pleasing is one of the main ways that the fear of man disguises itself and is so insidious to our hearts. Because being a people-pleaser often elicits praises from others. Because it looks like love. Because it looks like service. Because it, it looks like saying yes to requests. It looks like being appeasable in every situation. And people may think, wow, like you love people so well. You're so kind. You're so gracious. Even you're so sanctified. But the reality is, the so-called loving actions and service and agreeableness is not rooted in loving others well and wanting to serve them. It is rooted in making sure your own needs are met. You serve. You say, yes, you agree. You don't ruffle feathers because you need something from them. So what appears to be loving is ultimately self-serving. This is where the fear of man comes from. There's a principle underneath it. And it is this, that what or who you need will control you. And that's the root of man. Whatever you believe that you need, that will control you. And the fear of man comes from wanting or needing something from people in order to make us feel whole, in order to make us feel loved, in order to make us feel acceptable, in order for us to receive affirmation, and so on and so on. As long as we believe we need something from people and cannot be satisfied in Christ alone, in God alone, we will be in bondage to the degree that we believe that. We will be controlled by others, and ultimately, we will be left feeling empty and unsatisfied at the end of it. And this is what the Lord says through Jeremiah in the very next verse. Look at verse 6. Regarding the one who trusts in man, he says, He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. The picture here is, is one of a stunted shrub, basically. Most likely, he was talking about a tamarisk shrub. This is a shrub that's found in desolate places where um, high concentration of salt exists in the soil where most other things can't survive. The shrub's uh, roots don't go deep enough in the soil to actually reach water levels beneath the surface, so it's always parched. And, and while a tamarisk has adapted to survive in parched lands, we are not created for that. We are not created to live in parched lands. We are not created to merely just survive, 
to just get through. We are called to thrive in the Lord, to live abundant lives in Jesus Christ. And we cannot if we fear man. In verse 6, the Lord is, is painting a word picture of someone who will not be satisfied, who will constantly thirst, who will not find satisfaction since their roots are upon the opinion of other people. They will not see any good come. They are like a tamarisk who misses the water because they're shallow roots. We're not meant to live in desolate places, but the fear of man brings us there. One commentator says this, when we indulge in the fear of man, however good our intentions may seem, it will slowly lead us to arid places. While love frees and delights and forbears and overflows, the fear of man oppresses, dehydrates, and even suffocates. And we know this to be true, don't we? Like we if we are confronted with this reality, we recognize the truth of it in our lives. Trying to make everyone happy without deep roots in God will not see any good come. What or who you need will control you. I want to give you an example of how this plays out. I'm going to give you the example using the thing that Christians are most afraid of, evangelism. Let's, come on, let's be honest. You're terrified of it. Everybody is, right? Let's not pretend. Christians are terrified of evangelism. The fear of evangelism is rooted in the fear of man. That's what it is. The hard truth that you and I have to face is this. We will not evangelize to someone because our fear of that person's opinion. Our fear of not being accepted and so on. That fear in that moment is of greater concern to us and greater need for us than God's opinion of us. At the root, that's all that it is. We need something from them more than we need something from God in that moment. And evangelizing to them means we may not get it. We may get rejection instead, and we can't handle it. We need their acceptance. That person owns us in that moment. Because our actions are being dictated by them. Our mouth remains quiet because of them. The sooner we accept this being true, maybe we can break it off in Jesus' name. So that Followers of Christ are not so terrified to open our mouths and speak. If we were rooted in the fear and love of God, we would evangelize. Because love means sharing the fact that apart from Christ, every person is going to hell. That's love. Say, listen, without Jesus, this is your end. But we're not rooted in that love because we're so terrified of what they're going to say about us. So we keep our mouths shut. It's not rooted in anything good. 
The fear of man is about us, and that's why we don't evangelize, because we're more concerned about our needs being met by man than man's brokenness being redeemed by God. We hate that that's true, but it's true. Why do we struggle with this so much? Well, the Bible gives a handful of reasons for the fear of man, but I want to look at two that are biggest in our culture. The first reason for the fear of man is that we are afraid of being exposed. One of the things that is true about the Bible is that most of the issues that are common to humanity that you and I struggle with, that every human throughout history has struggled with, appear in Scripture anywhere between the garden and the exodus. And then after that, it just appears again again in a different way. But pretty much everything we struggle with shows up somewhere between the garden and the exodus. And the fear of being exposed by others is seen in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree. Look at Genesis 3, 6-7. We looked at this not too long ago as a church. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Right, these verses are very informative about where our fear of being exposed before others comes from. The answer is it comes from sin. Sin is why we are afraid of being exposed before others. Prior to eating the fruit, Adam and Eve were naked. They were unashamed. They had this beautiful, pure, one flesh union. And then after they sinned, their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They felt compelled to sew fig leaves on themselves to make loincloths. Why? Because they were afraid of being exposed before one another. They saw that they were sinful, and suddenly they had something to hide. We learn from Adam and Eve in the garden that the fear of exposure before man comes from shame over our sin. And this is a universal problem because all have sinned. We cannot escape it. And so that's one of the reasons why we're afraid of being exposed. But there's another reason why we fear exposure. There's another source of shame in people's lives. It's one that is not universal. All of us struggle with the fear of exposure due to our sinful natures. But only some of us know what it is to fear exposure before others due to shame over being sinned against. And if you're here and you know that shame, and it has you fearing exposure, I just want to say I'm sorry that you're carrying that. It's an alien shame that belongs upon the person who hurt you. Unless they have come before Jesus and repented and come before God for forgiveness and rightfully laid it down. It's not meant for you to bear it. But I understand that victim shame is something we often carry. If you've been abused, if you've been abandoned, if you've been assaulted, if you've been betrayed, 
especially if it's of a sexual nature, then you may fear being exposed because you carry shame from what's happened to you and you worry about what people will think of you. You're fearing man and it's an awful burden to carry and you need help to escape it. Don't stay there. You are literally who Jesus said about in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle. I am lowly. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you fear being exposed because of something that's happened to you, I, fear, I pray that that fear would not have a place here. Like if you're in Christ, we are your brothers and we are your sisters. You need not fear rejection. If you're here and you fear being exposed and you don't know Jesus Christ, he's beckoning you. You're that person. He's saying, come to me. Lay it down at my feet. I will carry it for you. You don't have to carry this burden. It wasn't yours to carry in the first place. He died for your sin, and he died for your shame. He took the sin and the shame that belonged to you and put it upon his shoulders on the cross. And in return, when we trust in him, he replaces our sin. He replaces our shame with righteousness. Like when he rose three days later from the grave, it was the sealing of the work that he had done on the cross on our behalf. His resurrection is the declaration that sin is defeated, that shame is defeated, that death is conquered for anyone who recognizes and acknowledges that they're a sinner and they need grace and forgiveness and they repent of that sin. And repent just means to turn from, to turn from something and to turn to God and to trust in him. And turning to God means believing Jesus died for your sins on the cross, entrusting your life to him, following him, and obeying him as Lord. And when you do, God promises redemption and new life the moment you trust in him and you receive the Holy Spirit of God and he comes to dwell with you and he will be your helper for the rest of life. And God does not promise that henceforth all will be perfect, but he does promise to be with you and for you always, that he will hold you fast, that you are righteous in his eyes as his child, and he cares for you. And if God cares for you, you don't need the approval of man. You have the approval from the Lord of heaven and earth, the one who created everything. You've already got it in Christ. So if you're here and you don't know Jesus, come to him. He's calling you. Lay down that burden. We're going to talk more about that next week. Can't get too far into it. Can't get too excited yet. But we'll talk more about that next week. We're going to, when we talk about the, the cure for the fear of man. The second reason for the fear of man is this. We are afraid of being rejected. To emphasize this, I, I want to use the same example of evangelism. You guys are like, oh, great. You know, one of the things that I have heard from Christians over and over, whether it be in our culture or otherwise, is this. 
I'm not afraid to die for my faith. Great. That might be true. And I'm sure that it largely is. But at the same kind, at the same time, that kind of declaration in our culture often reveals something else that's hidden underneath. What that declaration often means when you pull it apart is this. I would rather be in a situation where if it came to it, I had to die for my faith rather than be in a situation where I could be rejected and have to live with that rejection. That's what that means. Which highlights, once again, what we're truly afraid of. We're afraid of man. Because here's the thing. If we profess, what we profess is true, if we truly believe what we profess, then death is an easy option for us. Some of you may know Timothy Keller actually just passed away. Maybe you didn't know that. Timothy Keller is a great, great man of God. He's rejoicing with our Savior right now. And Timothy Keller once said, all death can do to Christians is make their lives infinitely better. Right? Like all death can do to Christians is make their lives infinitely better. Death is difficult for those left behind, but death is not difficult for the Christian if you really believe what you proclaim to believe. Because it means you're with Jesus now. You have inherited everything that you have lived your entire life for. So death is easy. And so this kind of declaration is often rooted in a front And if I may be so bold, it is a cop-out in our culture because let's consider the fact that death for our faith in our culture is not a likely option. It's not. Like, when is the last time you heard about a martyr in Canada because of their faith? So this declaration is one of false bravery. And it's covering up the reality of an actual fear that is present. And that fear is man. Because while the threat of death is easy and touted by so many as something they could face, the threat of being ignored, the threat of being criticized, the threat of being laughed at, the threat of being scorned at, the threat of being rejected, that is much more terrifying to us because it could and will actually happen. And that is why people won't share their faith. They're terrified of rejection. So we should all consider this. The next time we keep our mouths closed, it is more often than not because we are in bondage to the wrong fear. And such fear is not easy to overcome. And it is intensified in a person based on past experiences. What you've experienced at the hands of others in your past will be what you fear most. It's not easy to overcome. I was having a conversation with a guy last week that we met, a a Christian guy that's moving to this area, and we were talking about this very thing. And we were talking about when you go out to evangelize, we're like, the first 20 minutes is horrible. It's horrible. It's like the first 20 minutes, you're like, oh my gosh, you're afraid of everything. And then the Holy Spirit takes over. 
And you step into those spaces, and it's not scary anymore. And because he's promised that he'll be with us, right? He's promised that he will give us the words to say. But yes, the, the first few minutes, oh my goodness, it's horrible. But you got to get over that and not be in bondage to that. Some other real-life examples of this fear. You guys are having so much fun today. Some other real-life examples of this fear is um, being overcommitted. Some of you, this is how the fear of man comes out in your life, being overcommitted, not being able to say no to anyone. Like you know that your life is full. You know if you take on one more thing, you're likely to collapse. But you're like, yep, I can do it. No problem. That's fear of man. When you second-guess decisions based on what others are going to think about it, that's fear of man. When you're easily embarrassed, why do we get easily embarrassed? Because we're afraid of what other people are thinking about us. It's a fear of man. When you lie, why do we lie? Because we're worried about what the person we're lying to is going to think. Even when you get jealous of others, that's a sign that man is ruling your life. Or when you get angered easily by others. Again, that means that person is controlling your life. All of these things are rooted in the fear of man. This is something that we see very clearly in Scripture. I just want to give you a couple of examples as we begin to wind down. As I said, most of these things you can see anywhere between the garden and the exodus. And the fear of man comes up very clearly in the exodus. In Numbers chapter 13, we see the story of when the Israelites were coming to the edge of the promised land, and they were getting ready to go over. And Moses sends the spies to go check out the land. Let's just read it, starting in verse 25. It says, At the end of 40 days they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them to tell all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Okay, so the land is great. Flows with milk and honey. Here's some of the fruit of the land. It's fantastic land. Uh-oh. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and the, along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the son of Anak, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. I mean, that is such a case study on the fear of man. 
right? The, the land is wonderful. The fruit is wonderful. God had said, yes, I'm going to give you this land. It is yours. You go and take it. They had the Lord with them. They just had to trust in him. And yet they say, uh-oh, but the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are, are fortified. They're very large. There's the descendants of Anak there and all the Amalekites and the Jebusites and all of them. And, and we're little in their sight. They were terrified of man. And it kept them from taking the promised land that God had told them they would have. And it delayed it an entire generation, and they died off. And only Caleb and only Joshua, who said, no, let's go. Let's trust the Lord, got to see the promised land. This is what happens in the fear of man. We seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. It's exactly what happened to the Israelites. The best New Testament example of the fear of man, can anyone guess? Go ahead. Don't be scared. Hmm? Mm, close. Peter. 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 Right? Peter. Poor Peter. Lord, I am never going to forsake you. Even if everybody else falls away, I will stand strong in my faith. I will believe in you, Lord. I will be with you unto death. Okay, Peter, here's a little servant girl asking you a question. Right? Like, that's what it is. It's a fear of man. It says, now Peter, in, in Matthew 26, 69, now Peter was sitting outside the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, you also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him. He had another chance. And he said to the bystanders, this, or said to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. It's the fear of man so clearly there. Peter's like, God, I will stand with you, Jesus. I will never deny you. And literally a servant girl came to him, and he was like, no, I don't know him. We can look at that and go, man, Peter, come on. But don't we do the same thing in our own lives? Aren't we riddled by the same kind of fear? And so next week, we're going to look at the cure to this fear. And Jeremiah 17, 7 to 8, touches on this cure. The Lord says, blessed, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So as followers of Jesus, every single day we have a decision before us. Will we be cursed or will we be blessed? Will we walk in the cursing of trusting man or will we walk in the blessing of trusting in the Lord? We're going to talk about how to do that next week. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I know that this morning it's a tough one. Lord, this is one that is as much for me as anyone else. I know that to be true. And Father, I pray that you have and you will expose in our hearts where the fear of man is out of control. We know that there will be moments where we do fear. It's not that we are unfeeling. We will fear at times. The question is whether we will allow that fear to control us or whether we will turn to faith and trusting in you and banish that fear in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that for each heart here who is in bondage to this fear, that you would free them. Father, I pray that for each heart here who uh, struggles with shame, whether it be because of sin, I pray that you would bring that forth. Lord, for those struggling with shame and fear of being exposed because of something that has been done to them, I ask, Lord, that you would minister to their hearts deeply that you would show them what it is to lay their burdens down, to take up your yoke, to have the peace beyond understanding that comes from only Jesus. And Father, for all of us, I pray for a boldness of faith. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be consumed with trust in you so that we may step fully into what you have called us to be as your people. We thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We thank you, Father, that, that you are steadfast, that you are faithful. Work in our hearts in a mighty, mighty way, Lord, I'm asking. In Jesus' name, amen.